The sermon is entitled, Unconditional. John chapter 15, verses 12 and following. This is verse 14. I'm going to tell you the verses before, and then you'll see this. Oh, there's the entire one. Look at what it says. Jesus' words to his people. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what we studied last week. Verse 14 is what we're studying this week. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That took a turn. What does it mean? He says, I love you no matter what. And then you're my friends if you do what I tell you to do. Unconditional. I thought it was unconditional. Let's pray. Father, as we study the Word of God today, give us very strong clarity as it relates to how you relate with us and how you want us to relate with you. God, I can't help my friends today. I can't do it. I'm a speaker. I'm a Bible student, but I cannot help them, not the way they need helped, unless your Holy Spirit does it through your Holy Scripture. Oh, God in heaven, would you do something special and memorable in this moment? Would you empty this place of self and sin and would you fill it with your Holy Spirit's presence so that we can deeply understand the word of God in a way that is not only powerful but is truly changing. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. I grew up in church. Anybody grow up in church? How many of you in the room grew up in church? Like, when you were a little, little kid, you grew up in church. Raise your hand. How many of you like that? Okay, a few of you. I'd say in this crowd, ooh, wow, probably about 30 to 40% of you. Uh, a lot of church people coming to church today. Uh, but a lot of you did not grow up in church. Um, I did. I not only grew up in church, I grew up like in church church. You say, what do you mean? My parents were deep Christians, like deep cut Christians. I wasn't just a kid that went to church. My dad was the pastor which means we had church at church. And we had church at home. And I believed in separation of church and home. But he did not. Like when I talk about growing up Christian, I grew up real Christian, like deep Christian. Like we weren't allowed to, there was a lot, we weren't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo. Some of you are like, what? That was your childhood. I wasn't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo because of the ghosts, you see, and the monsters. And I tried to explain to them that they're not real. At the end of the show, you find out it was actually old Mr. McGee, and he was haunting the kids. And they asked me, how did you know that? And I had to admit <laughs> that I watched Scooby-Doo, and I wasn't supposed to. I wasn't allowed to watch He-Man. Do you know why I wasn't allowed to watch He-Man? Not because of Skeletor. No, because of He-Man. Because my parents said, there's only one master of the universe. That's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so I was Christian. But I was Christian Christian. All the time Christian. Um, and I studied the Bible uh, when I was a kid. 
And even this passage, John chapter 15. Now, this is the part of growing up in a Christian family that is not funny, that is deeply awesome. Um, they began to teach me how to study the Bible even when I was a kid, which, by the way, is a big misunderstanding in Christian homes. Sometimes we think our children cannot understand the Bible. Teaching them the Bible at the youngest age is the best time to start teaching them the Bible. Now, just because they're learning the Bible at the age of four and five and seven and eight and all the way through, just because they're learning the Bible doesn't mean they're going to understand every part of the Bible. And that was true for me. John chapter 15. I can remember even as a child coming across this passage, and I understood part of it, but I didn't understand all of it. What did I understand? I understood the first part that we just read, um, John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. It says, um, you are to love one another the way I've loved you, unconditional. God loves us so much, and we're to love each other that way. And then he says, greater love has nobody than this, than one lays down his life for his friends. That Jesus sacrificed himself for us, and we are to sacrifice ourselves for others, unconditional sacrificial love. But the next verse I had real problems with when I was a kid. It says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It felt like a turn in the text. It felt like Jesus said, I love you no matter what, but also if you don't do everything I say, I don't love you. Does that the way it looks to you? That's the way it looked to me when I was about 11. And I didn't understand this truth about unconditional leads to unconditional. You say, what, what unconditional leads to, what does that mean? It was early in the morning on April 9th, 1865, when General Robert E. Lee entered the Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia to face his opponent, General Ulysses S. Grant. And for you history buffs and those who love the Civil War, you'll know the story. This is the moment that the Southern Confederacy during the Civil War unconditionally surrendered to the United States of America. Where Robert E. Lee took his sword out and he bowed before his opponent, and in doing so, for the betterment of the future of the United States, so that the United States could be strong in the 20th century to defeat Nazism and fascism and communism, thank God, not to mention the freeing of the enslaved people. Unconditional surrender. On May 8th, some 80 years later, 1945, Nazi Field Marshal Wilhelm Keitel in the city of Berlin, without the permission of Adolf Hitler, signed the unconditional surrender of the German military. And doing so for the betterment of the German people, not to mention the millions of Jewish individuals who would be freed from the Nazi enslavement camps. Unconditional surrender. Thank God. You're here today to learn about Jesus as you were last week. That's what we're talking about. You're learning more about Jesus. And last week I told you we were gonna talk about his love and this week we're gonna talk about his offer. Okay, last week, his love. Unconditional love. 
This week, his offer, unconditional surrender. Now, now don't misunderstand. God is not surrendering to you, okay? You're surrendering to him. His unconditional love leads to unconditional surrender. Now, I gotta warn you, some of you are new to Jesus. Some of you only learning really about who Jesus actually is in the last few months. Some of you are new to this entire concept of Jesus. And I gotta warn you, because it happened to me, I promise it's gonna happen to you. It's happened to people for thousands of years all over the world. They call it Christianity. Here's what's gonna happen. The more you study the unconditional love of Jesus, the more you will get to a place where you will unconditionally surrender to Jesus. I gotta warn you, it's gonna happen. And if you don't like the idea of surrendering your life to Christ, I gotta warn you, stop studying his love. Because his unconditional love leads to unconditional surrender. That, that's how I understand the text now. You see that passage in John that I didn't understand as a child and I finally have grown to understand? It finally makes sense. Look at what it says in John chapter 15 and verse 14. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to love each other in an unconditional, agape, unconditional, sacrificial way. I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. How did I love you? I loved you so much that I gave my life for you. And then he says, unconditional love will lead to your unconditional surrender. You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's an expectation based upon the love that he's given you that you will give him yourself. Now, now what? Well, now let's have a real honest conversation. Because some of you in this room today you have been following Jesus Christ for many, many years, but a lot of you have not. And so we're gonna have a dialogue on what that actually looks like because some of you are thinking to yourself, okay, you're telling me if I fall in love with God and God, I understand his love, then eventually I'm gonna get to a place where I get on my knees and I give myself completely over to him, unconditional surrender. And, and you're in the midst of that decision process right now. Okay, you might be thinking, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to give yourself completely over to Jesus Christ. And so as somebody who has done so, I'm gonna show you three aspects of what unconditional surrender looks like. Before I go on, this sermon is primarily for those who are not believers, new believers, unbelievers, or very close to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Like, what I mean by that is, you know God has been pulling you close to him, and you're at this point where you're like, I think I'm about to give my life to Jesus. What does it look like? This sermon is for you. Okay. But if you're a follower of Jesus for many years, you might say, this sermon's not for me. It is. It is. This sermon is for you as well. Because even though you may have given your life to Jesus Christ last month, last year, or 10 years ago, there might be little rooms in your life, you've not yet surrendered to Jesus. Little parts of you that you're like, Jesus, take everything, but not that. <laughs> and so this sermon is for you as well. If you're ready to see what unconditional surrender looks like from the biblical perspective, I wanna hear you say amen. amen. All right, what does it look like? Number one, unconditional surrender, it looks like this. Number one, it looks like your unexpected happiness. Your unconditional surrender looks like your unexpected happiness. 
Should it surprise you that he knows your best option for happiness? Your best option for future happiness is your unconditional surrender to the person who created you and molded you and made you and to be the person that you are today. Should it surprise you that your unconditional happy, best option for unconditional happiness is your unconditional surrender to him and his perfect plan? Any, uh, any music lovers in the room? How many love music? All right, who's, who's not embarrassed to shout out the best, best musician of all time? Best musician of all time. Raise your hand, shout it out. Best musician of all time. Oh, like three people now. Okay, best musician of all time. Yes. What's that? Debussy. Is that what you said? Can we get a good answer, please, from someone? Oh, no, I, uh, I apologize. I know it's subjective, but you're, you know... Incorrect. Did somebody say Neil Diamond? Who said Neil Diamond? Yeah. Next. Good. No, but we're glad you're here. We're, you know, because this is a place where people who need help come. I said Neil Diamond. Wait, what'd you say? Les Hall. West Paul. Clearly, he's, he's, he's stood the test of time. Yeah, go ahead, Jacob, I can't wait. Yeah. You say Michael Jackson? Oh, he said Michael Jackson. He's young, don't tell him. What'd you say? Did you just say Taylor Swift? He pointed at his wife. But it came from his mouth. <laughs> Don't worry, shake it off, bro. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Greatest musician. Did somebody say Bach? Somebody say Bach? Beethoven. 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 Oh, going classic. Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, they, they say that a, a sign of a great musician is, is being able to stand the test of time. So I proposed to you that one of the greatest musicians of all time was a, uh, a little boy who ended up killing a giant and he became king. His name is David. And his, his songs actually have lasted 3,000 years. It's called the Book of Psalms and it's found right in the middle of the Old Testament. 150 songs. It's like a hymnal, a songbook. And not, o- not only, this is fascinating, not only is it incredible music, music, uh, music and poetry, it's still sung, these songs, all over the world today, 3,000 years later. Uh, Psalm number one is one of my favorites, and it talks about, this again is a songwriter, a musician, and he's talking about happiness and how to receive happiness and what happiness looks like. And in Psalm number one, we know David wrote this, even though it doesn't say in the text, because the Talmud tells us that David wrote Psalm one and Psalm two, they were a compendium together. And Psalm number one, David opens up by singing this, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it both day and night. 
He said, let me tell you what joy looks like. You want to know what happiness is? A blessed, happy man? This is what it looks like. Somebody who gets out of the way of foolish, sinful people and spends time, day and night, knowing God's word. And then he gives a beautiful metaphor in verse three. He says, they will be like a tree planted by a riverbank, bearing fruit in his season. Uh, good poetry and good music often will employ metaphors and visual pictures so that you can stick it in your mind and you won't forget. And here's the visual picture he wants to stick in your mind. He said, the happy person who studies God and gives himself over to God and God's book. He's like a tree, a strong and healthy, beautiful tree, planted by a beautiful running river, and it bears fruit in a season. Look at this beautiful artist rendering photograph of what a tree by a river brook looks like. This is what he's saying you are. He goes on in the story that says, in the song, and he says, but the wicked are not that way. The wicked are like the chaff of wheat. I know there's a lot of farmers in the room today. <laughs> For those who aren't farmers, if you take a little piece of wheat and break off what's called the chaff, the little elder shell, it's very thin, and you can take a handful of chaff and go, and it blows away. He said the wicked are like chaff where the wind just blows it into oblivion, and when they stand before God in the judgment day, they will fail. Unconditional surrender leads to unexpected happiness. I could have said unconditional surrender leads to happiness, but I used the word unexpected. Why unexpected? Okay, pastor, I get what you're saying. If you follow Jesus, uh, it brings joy and happiness. True. Why do you say unexpected? Here's why unexpected. Because I am a uh, control freak. I know you're not. I'm telling you what I am. I'm a, I am. I'm a, I'm a control freak. Do you know why I'm a control freak? Because I'm an American. <laughs> I like to have things my way right away at Burger King. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I'm a con I know I'm a control freak because of what happens when I go to Arby's. You ever go to Arby's and go through the drive-thru? That's deeply judgmental how you said that. <laughs> Dan looked up and said, no. You're so much better than the rest of us. I mean, they have the meats. You know they have the meats. Anyway, I go to Arby's, and as I sit in the line for Arby's, I order my, you know, beef and cheddar and the other health food options. It happens every time, especially for me, especially for Arby's. I'll go through, I don't know why, but every single time I'll order and I know, I know they got it wrong. Before I order it, I got it wrong. God has predestined them to get it wrong, I guess. 
And so I'll, I'll pull up, and as they get the bag ready, I know it's wrong, but they're going to hand it out the window, and what I'm going to do is irritate you because you are behind me. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm checking. And I said, thank you, thank you. And I ordered horsey sauce and Arby sauce, always horsey sauce and Arby sauce, not one or the other, both. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So I'm going to open it up, I'm going to check. Do you know why? Because they have never gotten it right. And also, I'm a control freak. So I'm going to do their job better than they do it. I know you're not like that. I am. I'm such a control freak, I get angry when the stories on my TV shows don't end the way I want them to end. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? That's not, that's not what's supposed to happen. As if I wrote the story, I don't write the story, they write the story, but I want the story to end the way I want this story to end. I'm a control freak. And that's why I call it unexpected happiness, because this is what I thought. I thought I would be happy in life if I got to do everything I wanted to do all of the time. Because I'm a control freak. I thought I would be happy if I got to do everything I wanted to do all of the time. And here's what I found out. The more I do whatever I want to do, the more unhappy and miserable I become. And unexpectedly, when I got to a place where I understood... Maybe if I go to the person who created me and unconditionally surrender myself to him, maybe he knows what happiness looks like for me. It changed my life. Changed my life. What does unconditional surrender look like? Number one, your unexpected happiness. Number two, your new allegiance. I'm going to say number two, you say your new allegiance. Number two, your new allegiance. Before you came to Jesus Christ, you were aligned and allied with some very bad characters. You were on the side of the world who is against God, you were on the side of your flesh who does the things that destroy you. And you were on the side of Satan even though you didn't know it. Before you come to Christ, and some of you, this is what's really odd in this moment, and this is gonna blow your minds if you're interested in deep thinking. Some of you are not even followers of Christ right now and you don't even realize that your allegiance is with the enemy of God. You don't even know it yet. You don't even know it. It's like before you were unintentional enemies of God. It's like you were born on the wrong side of the war and you didn't even know you were born on the wrong side of the war. It's like in the book, The Book Thief, the little girl who grows up in Nazi Germany and she loves her country. And she doesn't understand why there's all sorts of book burnings. Just a little German girl born on the wrong side of the war. Like Jojo in Jojo's Rabbit, the movie from a few years ago. The little boy was thrilled to be in Hitler's youth. He didn't know any better. He was born on the wrong side of the war. He didn't know. 
this make sense? Look at me, look at me. When you were born, you were born on the wrong side of the war. Your world had declared war against God. Your flesh and filled with sin did acts against God you didn't even realize were acts against God. That's why I'm here to tell you and to wake you up, you better come to Jesus because you're on the wrong side of this whole history thing. That's why Paul told the Romans exactly the same thing in Romans chapter number eight and verse five. He said, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think only about sinful things. Dominated by sin. Some of you, this explains to some of you why you keep making the mistakes you make. It's because you were raised in a society where you were dominated, that is, controlled, that is, you had overlords called sin and Satan, and you kept doing things that were against your good. Why? Because you were dominated by these things. Those who have been dominated by sinful nature think only about sinful things. You were aligned and in allegiance and subservient to an evil master. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. The moment you come to Jesus Christ, suddenly what happens is you are no longer in allegiance over here. You have switched sides. You're in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God leads you. It goes on in verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death and letting the spirit of Christ control your mind leads to life and peace. This is the result. The result of giving your allegiance to Jesus Christ is life and peace. I'm literally looking out to a crowd that some of you are still unintentional enemies of God. And I'm saying, if you give yourself to Jesus Christ, oh man, life and peace. Why? Look at the next verse. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. You were at war with God and didn't even know it. And if you're going to be at war with somebody, I would suggest not God because he's big and he's powerful and he's dangerous. Now, when I say God is dangerous, that messes with some of your ideas of who God is because you've got this idea of God that just isn't real. You think of God and you're like, I know God loves me because of how amazing I am. And he's like a, like a puppy in the sky. He's, he's like Santa Claus. And he, just, he just loves me. And, you know, whenever I do something bad, he's like, oh, cold next year. Not this year. You'll be fine. And you have stripped in your mind, or our society has because it's at war with God, it has stripped all of the power and danger from God in your mind. And you need to understand, God is a dangerous enemy to have. You do not want to die on the wrong side of this war. You say, well, 
If he's dangerous, that doesn't make sense. I thought he was good. Oh, he is good and dangerous. He's like the sun. The sun is not evil. The sun is dangerous. And in the same way, the Bible gives you instructions on how to live in the warmth of God's presence without the danger of being consumed. The question is, will you align yourself with the one who is powerful and dangerous and loves you, or will you choose to remain on the wrong side of this war? Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We were enemies, but it was the death of Jesus Christ that reconciled us to God the Father. God the Son died on the cross to bring you, the dead individual who deserves damnation on the wrong side of the war, to God the Father. And so you might say, okay, all right, all right, Josh, if he gets us, and I want to give myself completely to him, I'm, content, I'm considering the idea of total, unconditional surrender to Jesus. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Number one, your unexpected happiness. Number two, here's what it looks like. It looks like your new allegiance. And number three, here's what it looks like. It looks like your eternal purpose. Have you ever had the feeling that God created you for more than all this? Look at me, look at me. When the TV goes off and you put your phone down and you're sitting in solitude for two to five minutes, have you ever had a feeling that maybe you were created for more than all this? The answer is you were. I, I was at the men's retreat um, this weekend, and men, if you missed it, come next year, but there was a, we had a great time, and a lot of young men, a lot of older men, just a great community of followers of Jesus out in the desert, learning more about what it is to follow God on a spiritual retreat. And um, I had a conversation with a, uh, a young man named Joshua, he's 21 years old. And that's what I do with these retreats. I spend a lot of time just doing one-on-one -on -one conversations with the men that go up there and we walk away and spend time together. And um, Joshua was expressing to me what he thinks God was doing in his life. And the more he talked, the more convinced I became, this man has not only a deep intellect, but a very strong calling in his life to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I asked him, I said, what do you think God is doing in your life? He said, man, I don't know, but I just wanna study more about God. And I said, have you ever considered a theology degree? And he said, yeah, I just, I think so. I'm like, what does that look like? We started discussing it. And it was really cool because I love these moments where I see people's eyes enlightened to the future of what God wants for them. It was like he was coming to a realization, this is, this is God's calling in my life.
Now, look at me. Every single one of you in this room, Joshua is not unique. You are just as called of God as he is, but to something particular to you. You were not created by accident. You are not a cosmic mistake. You are a definitive, called, made, created, formed, and molded to do something very specific for God, for this world, for Christ's kingdom. And to accomplish this, you cannot do it on your own. You have to come to him and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? That's what Ephesians chapter two is saying. In Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're a follower of Christ and you've given yourself to him, God has formed you, molded you, and made you. It's true if you're 21, but it's also true if you're 71. Everything in your life has led you to a moment of being called by God where you say, God, take what I have left and do with me what you want. His eternal purposes have been prepared before that we should walk in them. There is a path and a direction and a destiny that God has for your life, but you can't have it unless you give yourself completely to him. Unconditional love will lead to an unconditional surrender. And an unconditional surrender looks like your eternal purpose. I don't know when the moment's gonna come, but there's a very key moment in your life coming where what you do matters for eternity. It's like, it's, it's like one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Her name is, um, her name is Esther. How many of you know the story of Esther? I love that story. She's a queen in the Bible. And uh, if you don't know the story, that's okay, because the Sunday after Easter, I'm going to start a verse by verse, chapter by chapter, study through the book of Esther for seven weeks. I call it Esther after Easter. <laughs> it works, right? Esther after Easter. What are we studying after Easter? Esther, Esther after Easter, right? It works, right? And in the midst of the story, Esther, I won't, I won't tell the whole story now. I'll just give one part. There is this key moment where God has created Esther to do something really special, but it's dangerous. And she has to decide whether or not she's gonna do what God created her to do or protect herself. And her mentor, a guy named Mordecai, says to her, could it be possible now, he says to her something really beautiful. He says, if you don't do this for God, God will find somebody else to do it. But could it be possible that God has put you in this moment for such a time as this? I'm looking across a room at hundreds of people that God loves and has created a very specific plan and destiny for, for moments that will move this world forward. But you can't get there until you unconditionally surrender to him. Does this make sense? I know unconditional surrender can be a scary thing. 
especially for those who have never experienced it. I was, um, I was married at the age of 20 years old. I got married at 20. Who gets married at 20? I asked that question. I was telling my wife this story, and I said, who gets married at 20? And she laughed and said, virgins. <laughs> it's true. We both grew up in a Christian home, and we waited for the right person. <laughs> I'm like, that's funny. I got to say it. She said, don't say it, and I did. <laughs> so we've been married now for, do the math, 23 years. And I remember I was the first guy in my people group to, uh, to get married. We all flew out to Alabama for the wedding, Alabama. And uh, we were ready for the, uh, for the wedding. That night, the night before, my friends had a bunch of stuff planned, as you know guys do. And it, it began with them um, giving me a gift. I opened up the gift inside, took out the, you know, the newspaper. There's no tissue paper. It was guys. They, they took it out, and, and inside was a a ball and chain. And they said, okay, we're going to have a fun night, but you have to wear this the whole time. And I'm like, ah. They're like, you're in prison, you're in prison. Ah. And I knew I was just lucky to have her. The moment I met her, all I wanted to do was be married to her. And the moment she saw me, she knew. It doesn't get much better than that, you know what I mean? I mean, you know. Let's be honest, you can see it, right? And so, um, and so I stood with her in front of the minister, and at 20, I said, my unconditional love for you leads to an unconditional surrender to you. And in various words, she said back, I unconditionally love you and I unconditionally give myself to you forever. Unconditional surrender is a beautiful thing when it's with the right person. I know what some of you are thinking. You're beginning to think, that's really nice for you, Pastor. I'm really glad that you have somebody like that. And that's the whole point of the sermon. You do have somebody like that. He loves you unconditionally, and He has spent every moment of your life attempting to draw you to Himself so that you give yourself to Him unconditionally. And I know it's scary, especially if you've been hurt in the past. But what you must do is you must take that sword, you must enter that courthouse, you must bow before Jesus and say, whatever you want. 
how, how do I do it? And this is where churches often fumble the ball, so I'm trying to be really clear here. How, for you, if you've never given yourself to Jesus Christ, after the service, there's going to be music play. I'm going to have a pastor named Pastor Andrew, one of the great men I know. He's going to stand here, and I'm going to stand right over here. And all the Christians that have already given themselves to Jesus, they're going to, they're going to go. And those who are like, I think I've never done that, but I want to, come and talk to us. You'll come. We know what you want. You're going to come talk, and I'm going to, we're going to schedule coffee appointments. And we're going to go and go to coffee, and I'm going to answer all your questions, or Andrew's going to answer all your questions, and you're going to see what it's like and how to actually give yourself to Jesus Christ, to be born again, to be truly saved. That's it. Let's pray.